following teaching is brought to you by Calvary Bible Church in Burbank, California. We trust that this recording will be a benefit to you and will be a challenge to your Christian faith and walk. For more information about Calvary Bible Church, see our website at calvarybiblechurch.org or call us at 818-556-4840. Well, this morning we're going to do something a a little different. Instead of uh, forging ahead in Zechariah, I wanted to to stop, to pause, and I wanted to reflect on a key motivation that we have seen several times within both Haggai and Zechariah. It's something that has come up over and over. In fact, even last week, as part of Zechariah's fifth uh, vision in chapter 4, we saw it again, because there again the Lord reminded them that this construction project that he was encouraging them and using Haggai and Zechariah to, to motivate the people to build this, this temple, this construction project, was part of something bigger. It was part of something that extended beyond, uh, far beyond completing a building. It was something they were be a, a, a part of that was extending far beyond even their own lifetimes. God has a grander plan, a larger purpose, a mission. And this was something that the people needed to hear because as we've been looking at the the, the exiles after they'd left Babylon, came back to Judah, and kind of looking at their condition, their mindset, their thinking, we, we realized they were suffering from tunnel vision in a lot of ways. They were focusing only on a very narrow thing, focusing on themselves, focusing on their world, rather than on what God wanted them to do. And as we've been studying these two prophets, you know, I've been thinking a lot about this in relation to us. I've been thinking a lot about the fact that, you know, at times we are just like these people. At times we, too, follow the same path and pattern that they have shown. We, too, are prone to tunnel vision, to limiting ourselves to what we see just right in front of us. We, too, can easily get caught up in our own worlds and concentrating on our own lives on our own plans, on our own experiences. And so often, I think all of us really think about it, we should admit this, so often our horizon extends no further than the span of our own lifetime. Sometimes not even beyond the week. We don't think about in the future as often as we should. And so this morning, I want to challenge you to consider this question. Do you see yourself as part of something bigger? Do you see yourself as part of something bigger? If so, how are you living that out? How are you participating in God's greater plan? Do you know what God's greater plan is and how you fit within that plan? I think that was part of the struggle with the people as they're building this temple. And some of them think, what are we doing this for? We have our own lives to live. You know, we have an altar. We can still perform the ceremonies that God wants. Why this building project? How do we fit? And so Haggai and Zechariah are brought along to help them see the big picture. And we too need to see the big picture. How do you fit in God's plan? Do you understand you're part of something bigger? For if there's one thing that we see from the pages of Scripture is that God is on a mission. And He's been on a mission. A mission He planned in eternity past. A mission whose seed was planted in the Garden of Eden with the promised one who would come to lift the curse. And it is a mission that He sent His own Son to carry out. In fact, if you think about it, Christ made several mission statements when he was here on earth. In Luke 19.10, he said, The Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. In Mark 10.45, he said, The Son of Man did not come to be served, 
but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Luke 4.43, Jesus said, I must preach the gospel for I was sent for this purpose. That is a mission statement. Luke 5.32, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You see, Christ came on a mission. He came on a mission, God's mission, to redeem the lost, to preach the gospel, to call sinners to repentance, to offer salvation to all who would put their faith in Him, and to be the perfect sacrifice through which that salvation could come, and to claim His throne as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so again, the critical question for us is this, how committed are you to that mission? That's all that really matters. How do you live out that mission on a day-to-day basis? Because, beloved, Jesus' mission is our mission. I mean, didn't he make it very clear to us that he sent us on a mission? You know these words, Matthew 28. All authority has been given to me, Jesus said, in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Again, that is a mission statement. That is a declaration, a command, a a call to make his mission our mission. Jesus' last words before his ascension, he said this to his disciples in Acts 1.8, But you will receive power when my Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even in the remotest parts of the earth. Again, that is a mission statement. That is a declaration, a directive to carry on his mission. And yes, in those two instances, the words were first given to the disciples directly, but they were not intended only for the disciples, right? If that were the case, you wouldn't be here. Jesus said, make disciples of all the nations. The apostles didn't reach every nation in their lifetime. He said, lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. The apostles didn't live forever, at least on this earth. They're still alive, but they're not here Jesus said, you shall be my witnesses to the remotest parts of the earth. Again, the apostles uh, did not extend to every part of the earth. He sat on the Sermon on the Mount as he's speaking to the people. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Or Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, we are ambassadors for Christ. We represent him. We are to speak for him. We are to proclaim him. We too have the responsibility to carry out Jesus' mission. And again, do you see yourself as part of his mission? Do you see yourself making disciples, being his witnesses, being salt and light, being his ambassadors? Do you remind yourself, and I hope you have been as we've been looking through this series in Zechariah, do you remind yourself you're part of something bigger, much bigger than, than your life, than your home, than this church? You see, the goal in life isn't just to exist. It's not just to raise morally upright children or be a model citizen or help people or be a success. Of course, these are all good and of course they're all important. But they are not at the core of Christ's mission. You've been put on this planet. You've been saved. You're being sustained even now. We read in Colossians 1 that Jesus is upholding all things right now. He's sustaining us. He's giving us life in this very moment. And He's giving us life. He's saved us. He's given us existence for a purpose. It is to carry out 
his passion, that his passion will be our passion to live out his mission. Is that the mission you're on? If so, how does it manifest itself in your job, in your home, when you are out amongst the people? How does it manifest itself as you parent, as you grandparent, as you, I don't know, what would nieces and nephews be, as you niecing or nephewing, I don't know. All of us are connected in those ways. How are you thinking about his mission when you're driving? We spend a lot of time doing that in Southern California. When you're in the community, even here at church, are you mission-minded? It's kind of like, you know, I think Ethan Hunt, right? The Mission Impossible, right? You all know this series, right? And he shows up some obscure place and he has this little device and it gives him a mission, Tells him what he needs to do. And then after it's done, it starts, you know, this fake smoke comes out of it and, you know, self-destruct and whatever, however much time. Brothers and sisters, our commander has given us our mission. He's been very clear about it. Very clear about it. And this tape will not self-destruct. In fact, this tape, we have all the instructions how to carry out that mission and the motivation and the encouragement and the empowerment by his spirit through his word to do this mission. We talked about that last week. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. Again, Zechariah declared those words because they are part of a picture that is bigger than themselves. And he wanted to make sure you are empowered to do this. You don't have to do it on your own. Make disciples of all the nations. That is our mission. That is what we've been called to. So again, my first point is his mission is our mission. Second point I want to remind you of this morning is that his mission is to make disciples. To make disciples. And this means more than just evangelism. Jesus said in Matthew 28 to make disciples. And then he explained what he meant by that and how to do that in two parts. The first was baptizing him. There's the evangelism part. to Proclaim the gospel so that, uh, that the person would hear and understand by the power of the Spirit and repent and believe. And then respond to that with a commitment to be baptized, as we saw this morning. That was just a representation, a a symbol, a, a testimony of what God had already done in their life. And so Jesus said, firstly, to make disciples, baptizing them. Bring them to a saving knowledge of Christ that would be affirmed, that would be demonstrated in the waters of baptism. But then he says a second part. And teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. The mission to make disciples isn't just to preach the gospel, but also living out the gospel. It doesn't end at the part where you ask Christ to forgive you and to express the desire to turn from your sins and put your trust in Him. That's just the beginning. Making disciples then extends from that point into eternity to living out that gospel. Open to Colossians 1.28. I read from this chapter this morning. Colossians 1.28. You know, as I look at this passage, this is Paul's personal declaration. And really what it is, is his personal declaration of the Great Commission and his commitment to it. It's worded a little bit differently, but the same principles are there. This is really, these two verses are Paul's personal manifesto. His declaration of how he's applying the Great Commission. Notice he says in Colossians 1.28, We proclaim him, admonishing every man... 
and teaching every man that we, with all wisdom, that we may present every man complete in Christ. And for this pur- purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works in me. Do you see the great commission in there? Notice again, Paul says, we proclaim him. There's the, the baptizing part. There's the declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus came as a man, died a death on the cross so that he might provide the atonement, the substitution, the, the payment for our sin that the Father would gladly accept if we put our trust in him. That's the proclaiming part. That's the baptizing part. But then notice he says, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. There's the second part of the Great Commission. Teaching them to observe Christ's commands. You see, Paul recognized that making disciples wasn't just getting a person saved. It wasn't just speaking the gospel. not, Not just proclaiming Christ, but to help that person become like Christ. That is the mission. Go back to the previous letter, uh, two previous letters, Ephesians chapter 4. I'm just going to be sharing with you verses that are, I think most of us are familiar with, but I want to bring them together so that we can understand and see just how they connect us to this bigger picture. Ephesians 4 verse 11 says there, And he, speaking of Christ, he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That's a description of the second part of the Great Commission. That Christ has given the apostles and prophets to give us His Word through the New Testament so that we may understand through the power of the Spirit, understand what it is it means to be a Christian, how to become a Christian, how to live out the Christian lives. He gave prophets and apostles to do that. And then it says He gave evangelists and pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. Again, the picture there is... God has given us those gifted to proclaim what the apostles and prophets have given us so that, or to the end, that we would become like Jesus. Not just as individuals, but collectively as a body. That we would look, all of us together, like Christ. Again, that is the mission. Making disciples means here that you are interconnected with one another. It means that you're involved. It means that you're participating in the body. Again, notice there, it says, equipping the saints That's all of us for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. And then notice, I'd like to read, Paul goes on to say in verse 15, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and joined together by that which every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. See how you fit? According to the proper working of each individual part within the body. That's all of us. All of us. That means here you're actively using the gifts that the Spirit has given to you to use within the body of Christ. That means that you are praying for one another. That you're praying with one another. That you're speaking the Word of God into each other's lives. That was the, that's what that statement means. Speaking the truth in love is literally truthing in love. It is declaring the Scriptures to one another in a loving and gracious way. It means that you are 
by the power of His Spirit, living out the one another's, loving one another, serving one another, encouraging, confessing, admonishing, teaching, forgiving, all of these one another's. There's over 50 of them in the New Testament. These are all part of how the church makes disciples. These are all part of the mission statement. And each of us fit into that. Are you a properly working part? Are you building up the body of Christ? If so, how? How specifically are you functioning in the body? You're being equipped through the teaching, through small groups, fellowship groups, through the instruction. You're being equipped in order to be part of building up the body of Christ. How are you doing that? How are you doing that specifically? Are you on Christ's mission? Again, His mission is our mission. Are you committed to that? Notice Paul's own commitment. Colossians 1.29, he said, For this purpose, again, for what purpose? Proclaiming and teaching, presenting every man, complete or mature in Christ. He says, For this purpose also I labor... Striving, and that word is is this idea of struggling, exerting, straining, agonizing, according to his power which mightily works in me. Paul was sold out for the mission. Completely sold out. And it wasn't that he was some special, unique individual that only God only used. I think Paul in that is an example to us, a humbling example to us. Are you sold out? Do you labor, strive, struggle to carry out Christ's mission? A third reminder I want to give you this morning is that Christ's mission to make disciples, it's an ongoing mission. And by that I mean if if this mission is to be carried out to all the nations, to the end of the earth, if it is to be carried out to the end of the age, the question is, well, how is that going to be done? Again, the apostles didn't reach every single square foot of the planet Earth. And they didn't live very long. Some of them died within a rather short period of time. John lived the longest. He lived into the the night, probably 60 years after they were given this commission. But that's it. Apostles are gone. They did not live to the end of the age. How was Christ's mission going to be carried out? And how do we ensure that it continues to be carried out after us? The implication is that we must be making disciples who themselves are disciple makers. We must be engaged in people's lives to the extent that we, through our example and our efforts and our working with them and coming alongside them and equipping them to do the same thing. Paul articulates in 2 Timothy 2.2 this kind of this principle of passing the baton. He tells Timothy there, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and he's speaking there of the truths, the doctrines about Christ and what he has taught him and shown him by word and example. He says, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You see, beloved, if Christ's mission shows us anything, if if the plan and purpose of the church shows us anything, if what Scripture says regarding the Christian life shows us anything, it is this, that we are not to be a receptacle, but a conduit. We are not buckets. We are pipes. We are not a lake. We are streams. We're not a cup. We're a faucet. You understand my meaning with that? 
We don't contain things. We're not just here to get filled up and filled up and filled up, and then it just stays there. What happens when you put water in a very still container and leave it there a long time? Yeah, yeah. Weird things grow out of it. It's not something you want to drink after a while. Right? We are not designed to be buckets that contain. We are designed to be pipes that flow. We are designed by God to be faucets that distribute the water that comes from Him and distribute it to the next generation, if you will. The very nature of our mission, the very way we are to function as a church and as individuals, our our mindset, our focus, our, our actions, it's all to be not inward but outward, right? It's not about us. It's about one another. And it's about His world. So to carry out Christ's mission, we have to live beyond the four walls of our homes. To carry out His mission, we must live beyond our careers, beyond our marriages, beyond our parenting, our hobbies, our daily activities. Again, we're part of something bigger. I still remember that um, John Piper's book, uh, Don't Waste Your Life, and he's got in there a very sobering illustration. And I think one of the, he says one of the motivations that he wrote that book was he read in Reader's Digest back in the 80s or something about this couple who retired in their 50s and bought an RV and they're traveling around the, uh, the states. And, and uh, uh, it mentions in the article how one of the, this couple, they, they spent lots of days out on the seashore collecting seashells. Piper says, um, you know, I'm thinking about that day that they stand before the throne and, and they see, Jesus, look at all my seashells. What have you been doing? What have you been doing? I didn't put you here to collect seashells. Nothing wrong with seashells. It's fine to take strolls on the, on the, on the beach. Obviously, that's not what he was talking about. That's not what I'm talking about. How are you investing yourself in Christ's mission? It's not his mission to, to be perfecting your hobbies and your recreational activities. or That's not his mission. Again, those aren't bad things, but they can become dominant things, especially in our culture. We're so prone to to entertainment and all these things that we we miss the point. We miss that we're part of a bigger picture. You know, one of my favorite track events is the relays. Uh, especially the 4x100 and 4x400. You know, that's where you have four runners and they each have a certain leg, 100 meters, 400 meters. And, you know, as they run that leg, what the part of the, the relay event is that the middle runners are given a baton and a baton that they pass, right? And if they don't pass that baton, the, the runners, the team's disqualified, right? Now imagine yourself, okay, in 2016, uh, I think the games are going to be in Rio, Right? So we're there watching the, these, the, 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 uh, the relays there. We're watching the 4x400. And there's the U.S. And, and Jamaica and France, Trinidad and Tobago. I mean, these are the, the elite teams on the earth. And they're running this race. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the second leg, the American runner just stops. Middle of the race, he stops. Walks over to the stands. He grabs a cup of water, gets a protein bar, hops up into the stands, takes his seat. He's done. Imagine he's in the press conference and everybody's just dumbfounded. What are you doing? And so they ask him, why did you stop? Well, my stomach was growling. And I was thirsty. I've been training a lot. You know, and I, my legs were a little bit sore from running all those qualifying uh, runs. That uh, I just I wanted to relax and watch the rest of the race from the stands. Now... 
What would we think of that guy? If we're watching that interview, what do you think the coaches would think? What do you think his teammates would think? It wasn't that they just didn't, they didn't get first place or second place. It wasn't that they didn't medal. They didn't even finish the race. Because that one guy decided it was all about him, not about the mission. He got his focus off the mission. They were there, they trained, they did all those things in order to do one thing, to cross that finish line first, or at least cross it. But you know what? He wasn't thinking about his country, or his teammates, or his coaches, or the people that were there watching this event. He was thinking about himself, his needs, his comforts, his wants. Let me ask you, what about you in regards to Christ's mission? You got the baton in your hand. If you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, He gave you a baton. The intention to use it. You're a conduit. You're a pipe. You're a faucet. You're a stream. You're to pass on. Is there someone that you are passing that baton on to? And I mean not just in terms of a discipleship relationship, but even in terms of the gospel. Is there someone passing the baton on to you? Who are you spending time with that is investing you? What Bible study or fellowship group or accountability group are you a part of? Where you're receiving the baton, if you will. Again, we're part of a race. How many times did Paul use that analogy? We're part of a a competition, an event in a sense. And we have to keep going and keep going. In our case, the relay is not 400 meters each leg. It's a marathon each leg. And no, we're, you know, we're not just talking about some race here with shiny medals and, and you get to hear your national anthem playing. We're talking about men's souls. We're talking about women's souls. We're talking about children's souls. We're talking about the glory of Christ that the world needs to see. Beloved, this church does not exist to create some comfortable Christian bubble. This church is not here merely to have nice ministries and nice buildings and and nice social gatherings. We're here to see Jesus Christ lifted up in this community. Amen? We're here to see Christ lifted up here. That's why we're here. That's the mission we're on. And it's a glorious mission. He strengthens us. He empowers us. He gives us a joy to continue to pursue. But we have to pursue it. We're here to see Christ lifted up in our community, in our nation, and around this world. Our mission isn't done until we cross the finish line together. That's what's so cool in those relay races. You see, when that last guy runs through the line, all his teammates are around him. They're celebrating it together. Not everybody may have run the best leg. But they celebrate together as a team. We run till the end. We celebrate together when our coach, our commander, our savior comes up to us and celebrating with us. I want to be able to not have my head hung low because I walked in over to the stands in my race. Lord, here's my baton. I, I passed it. I passed it. You know, I really found Ed's illustration last week very helpful. He talked about the Christian life and how some people in the Christian life kind of see it like being at an airport where you get your ticket. You, you, you confess your sins, you become a believer, so that's kind of like your ticket, and then you sit there and wait in the terminal until the plane comes. 
As if the only thing that is important now is just getting to the destination. Being at the destination. But what God has called us to is a road trip. He's called us to a road trip. A journey. A mission. Indeed, our destination is our, our goal and our desire and our longing and our hope. The celestial city that Pilgrim talks about. There are people, though, along the way that need a ride. There are people along the way that need to be shown how to drive so that they can pick people up when you're no longer part of that road trip. There are people that need to know about Christ's mission because His mission is an ongoing mission. Until He returns, He's given us a task to do. And we've been so blessed here with with so many incredible resources. It's my prayer that God would give me and would give us a passion, a passion to use those resources for the glory of Christ to fulfill His mission. May God enable us here at Calvary to see that we are part of something bigger than ourselves. And it's pretty cool. It's pretty amazing. May Christ's mission, beloved, be our mission. Amen? Now, I give you these reminders and these exhortations to, to be honest, and I know you hear this a lot, when you hear sermons and preachers say this, but, but I'm really being genuine here. I've given these exhortations and encouragements, not, not primarily for you, but for me. I want to take a moment just to express how the Lord has, has been moving in my own heart regarding His mission, Christ's mission. The last several years, I've had opportunity to teach at uh, pastor training centers in the Philippines and Malawi as we've talked about over the short-term missions we've gotten back, those ministries are part of the Master's Academy International, those training centers. It's a network, and it seeks to fulfill the calling of 2 Timothy 2.2, to pass on what we've learned to faithful men so they can be teaching others also within their communities, within their countries. Men uh, who are being trained that who could not otherwise afford the time or the money or to be able to go somewhere and get that training, to go to a, a seminary, a good seminary, and get that additional training that they need that they don't have we as a church we've supported several of these tma centers around the world starting in russia and then in honduras new zealand malawi africa the philippines i think we're even considering some others in europe and such beloved just in my experience in the few times that i have been out that the need is unbelievable it is a huge need that exists I shared with you how when I got back from Malawi, Africa, and the first day I was there, the very first uh, time I was there, uh, uh, they were asked, you know, how many of them had at least 10 books? Remember, and I told you, very few of them raised their hands. These are pastors. Many have been in the ministry for years. How many books do you have? Less than 10. Many of them have not had any formal training. Very little formal training. Some have had some training, but it's not been good training. But these men, what, what was so heartbreaking is these men love Christ and they want to see Him made known and they so desperately want to know how do they accurately teach and preach the Word of God so that it would affect change by His Spirit in their lands. It's not that they're unfaithful. It's not that they don't want it. They desperately want it. They so desire to accurately teach His Word and they would give anything to have your library. They would give anything. They would sacrifice anything to be able to know the Bible and teach it. As well as we have several men here who can do that. They would kill for that. 
you know I'm being figurative, right? <laughs> I mean, there are, it's, it's just amazing the commitment that they have to Christ and their desire to make Him known. And brothers and sisters, we have so much, so much. And those times overseas have made me realize this about myself, just how little that I have been thinking beyond the walls of this church. How little I've really considered the needs outside of our community. How little I've given attention to these abroad. The need is so great around this planet for gifted and trained men to proclaim the gospel and teach the gospel of Jesus Christ and so that they could be trained to train others to do that. Just a few days after I got back from Malawi, we had the TMAI Symposium here that Monday. What a great day. There were men from over 70 countries here, I think. And during one of the sessions, I was sitting right up there in the balcony, kind of where you're sitting, Dana. I was sitting right up there, and uh, a man next to me from Haiti sat down. And as we were talking a little bit, he too, he just began to express his desire to be better trained so that he could go back and be more effective for Christ. And you know, as I was going home that night and thinking about particularly that conversation and thinking about all the experiences that I had experienced in Malawi and in the past, there was this moment where it was like, like a, you know when you have a picture, you're looking through a camera and you adjust the lens? I know many of us don't have that today. We have these automatic cameras that do it for us. In the old days, kids, they would actually use their hand and, you know, and adjust the camera and then the, the picture becomes clear. That's what hit me as I looked at my life. That I was like a lens as I was thinking about these things. And the picture came into focus. Some people call it an epiphany. Some people call it that aha moment. But in that moment, I realized I need to be more involved in training these men. And when I was talking to Tina about these desires, we both realized how God has gifted and wired me. As a teacher, my greatest joy and passion comes from from teaching and how I was so energized when I was with these men and involved in their lives and seeing what just their heart for Christ and how much they had to teach me. Then we reflected on all that God has done in my life, all the things that he has brought us through. I've been a a lay elder. I've been working a secular job, a, a husband, a father. Various ministries God has given me, including the privilege to serve in the pulpit here these last three and a half years. And and in reflecting on these experiences, that's when, again, that, that focus became clear. The lens was adjusted, and I realized all along God has been preparing me for something. And I think this desire has been latent in me for some time. I remember 20 years ago talking about it with a, a man, just the desire to spend more time in training men overseas and It was something that I actually didn't really seriously consider until that last missions trip. For whatever reason, perhaps the Lord's timing, what He wanted me to experience in life first, this desire has now firmly gripped my heart. I can't shake it off. I'm compelled. I'm compelled to be more involved in training these pastors overseas. So in March, I I let the elders know about these desires and to make a long story even longer... After much prayer and discussion, the elders affirmed these desires. So beginning July 1st, my role will be changing. 
be changing from pastor teacher to part-time associate pastor position here at Calvary with emphasis on missions and discipleship, both here and abroad. So what does this mean? Well, first of all, it means I'm still at Calvary. My family is still at Calvary. You are our family. We love you. I sincerely mean that. We're not, we're not leaving. I will still be involved in investing in discipleship and training pastoral care here at Calvary. But secondly, it means that in this transition, my role will be part-time so that I can be freed up to do uh, more overseas training. And I want you to know that this change in my role is, is driven by a calling, a calling towards a new direction. The Lord has made it clear to me and, and affirmed through the elders to move my preaching ministry from this pulpit to the pastors in the mission field. In fact, right now I'm currently pursuing a, a doctor ministry degree at Masters in order to help equip me to be better at preaching and to be able to be more effective in helping others do that. My wife and I chose not to move overseas for a few reasons. One, again, is because of our love for you. We don't want to leave. That was what I was pleading with God. Lord, is there a way to do this? I don't have to leave. I don't want to leave. Another consideration was uh, our youngest daughter has some medical needs that just it was prudent for us to be based here in the States. So we felt that was important. Now, I want you... This is important. I'm, I think I've got everyone's attention right now, so... I'm going to keep it for a minute. I want you to see not this, this, this is something I alone am pursuing for me. The elders see this as good for all of us here at Calvary. That it would show us our need as a body and giving attention to it through keeping, supporting us on staff here and retaining us that we would remain here but be a part of more investing in discipleship and in missions so that we could be as a body encouraged in moving this direction together, to give greater attention to our responsibility to those outside of this church. We want our missions program to be all that it is now and more. There are untapped opportunities that we can be better invested in the lives and ministries of our missionaries and those whom they serve. And we want to capitalize on that because, again, going back to what I was talking about earlier, we all need to be engaged in Christ's mission. That's what this is all about. This isn't about Tim pursuing some new opportunity that's fun and exciting and he gets to see the world. I've seen the world. When I was in business, I went all over the world. Maybe that was part of what God was doing in training me. But that, that's not what this is about. This is about the investment you have made in me and continue to make in me and my family is imparting that to a world that needs it. And then what I bring back from that world to help continue to encourage us to keep moving that direction. We want our missions program to be all that Christ wants it to be. We all need to have a passion to see the word of Christ dwell richly, not only in us, but also in our city and abroad. Again, we're part of something bigger. We all need to give of our resources, our time, our talents, our wealth, our pastors our teachers, our leaders, to instruct faithful men who will be also able to instruct others abroad and train others abroad and here. I know you probably have a lot of questions. What I ask you to do now, I just want you to, to pray. 
I want you to pray for the Lord's direction for the elders, for me, for our church, especially in regards to our mission. Pray for His abundant provision that we may be able to do as a church all that we can in training pastors around the globe. And even here in Los Angeles, there's an opportunity in Los Angeles that is, I think, going to happen where we'll be involved in helping to train men there who don't have the time or the ability or the money to be able to get good training. Guys that are already in the ministry. So we're not just talking about way over on the other side of the earth. There's opportunities even within our Samaria, if you will. So be praying for that and be praying that God would show you how you can be more involved and invested in the gospel here and abroad.